My name is Holly Lewis. I'm Lawson Keeney. And I'm Jean Lewis. And welcome to I Don't Know Why We're Doing This, where we stick to the list, for better or worse. There's been a bit of a te- technological snafu. We've tried recording this once before, but technical issues happened and we lost it. So this is going to be a shorter episode. Yes, we recorded all of the What We've Been Watching segment, but then it all crapped out on us. I spoke about six director sci-fi monster movies in a row and Audacity couldn't handle that. <laughs> Your computer was like, actually, you know what? Screw you. Yeah. <laughs> So what we're going to do here is just at the top, we're just going to very briefly run down the lists of what we've seen within the week and just give a one or two word, is it good, is it not good, just so that we can maintain the continuity of the list as that is the premise of the show. And also at the top, it's probably worth mentioning that this is going to be the last episode that we'll release on a Wednesday Australian time. We will be moving to Saturdays from now on just for scheduling reasons in our own lives. That just makes it a little bit more easy for us. So next week, Lake Placid versus Anaconda, because we still got one more of these. That will be out on, let me just double check here. That will be out on Saturday the 1st of August, as opposed to the 29th of July. Put it in your calendars, my lads. So why don't we just get started and do a very brief rundown here of what we saw within the week. I saw the Rocky Horror Picture Show for the first time. It's great. You should see it. We will be doing an episode on it at some point in the far future when we get around to it. I also saw a dodgy horror movie called Follow Me at the cinemas. That is sort of a torture porny kind of hostel ripoff. If you're looking for one of those, just rewatch Hostel. This doesn't have anything decent to add. I watched Lake Placid 2, which is halfway decent, but shows the origins. It's sci-fi original movie origins. I watched Boa vs. Python, because there were three other sci-fi original monster movies that are included in the set that I got Lake Placid 3 in. I watched Boa vs. Python, which is a creatively bankrupt movie that no one needs to think about longer than necessary. (laughs) Frankenfish is not very good, but it's halfway entertaining. (laughs) Chupacabra Terror has John Rhys-Davies in it for some reason, and it's probably the most professionally competent of all of these, but it doesn't really have any Chupacabra-specific elements to it. It's just really about a monster that scratches people on a cruise ship. Lake Placid 3 and Lake Placid, the final chapter, the the second of which's title is an absolute lie because there are at least two more of Lake Placid's after it. Uh, They are pretty good, actually, pretty professional. They are a symbol of the mounting quality with which sci-fi seemed to be approaching these films as they headed into 2010, 2011, 2012. And I really enjoyed both of them. I I think that Lake Placid 4 might be my favourite of the series. Um, We can discuss that more at length next week when we talk about Lake Placid versus Anaconda. But anyways, how about you two? Yeah, so I watched an anthology series called Homemade. It is a bunch of homemade short films done by filmmakers while they're in isolation it's quite good although some of the episodes are less good than others for our screen studies class it's australian screen this trimester we watched a documentary called not quite hollywood the world untold story of ozploitation 
It's about the history of exploitation films in Australian cinema. History. It's a bit self-obsessed, up its own ass, so to speak, but nonetheless informative. So now that we've gotten that out of the way in record time, the world will sadly never hear my more detailed thoughts on Frankenfish, and no one is more saddened by that fact than I. But we will now move on to our in-depth discussion this week of Lake Placid, the second in the triptych of monster movies that we have committed to discussing over these three weeks. We're going to play the theatrical trailer for you now. It has existed since prehistoric times. It was worshipped by primitive cultures. It can kill a man with one crushing bite. We heard a man was bit in half. Any recent bear attacks? Bears don't attack people underwater. Probably a fever then. What was that? Whatever's out there being shot with this is dead. Oh no. <laughs> Sheriff, how many deputies you got? You came here to help you find it. We can't let him kill it. Experience a few parts mystery. Do you have any theories why he's here? Honestly, I don't know. And a few parts... <laughs> missing. It's a human toe. Is this the man who was killed? He seemed taller. Oh, my God. Bill Pullman. Shoot him. No! How much of a wacko is this guy? Bridget Fonda. Mother... Oliver Platt. Maybe swam back up! Maybe not. I just have this feeling everything's totally safe. This summer, the Earth's oldest creature has just found a new home. Hurry up! Go under! Lake Placid. That was the theatrical trailer for Lake Placid. It is, I suppose you would call it a darkly comedic thriller. I wouldn't call it a horror movie. Directed by Steve Miner. And it is about a collection of oddball characters who investigate the deadly creature lurking in the lake of a small New England town, quickly discovering that it is, in fact, a gigantic crocodile. So, before we get too deep into this, why don't we just go around at the top here and say our brief 30-second thoughts as to what we made of this movie. Why don't you start us off, Sean? Yeah, I quite enjoyed it. The script is very, very quick-witted. It almost preempts the comments of some of the wise asses who would be watching it, Harley and I included, and... It has very interesting character dynamics, and I think that really helps it. It's got an amazing Betty White performance that I I really enjoy. Yeah. I frankly really love this. It's exactly what I'm after in a creature feature. Fun characters that are a bit too clever to be realistic, but still portrayed honestly by the actors. The script is a total knockout. It's great. And the effects aren't that bad, all things considered. It could have looked a whole lot worse. A resounding endorsement. I enjoyed this, even though I, I think it does fail to fully realise its potential. It is surprisingly pretty much an out-and-out comedy. 
It's very dialogue-based, and it has a welcome investment in character and dialogue that is unusual in monster movies. The script and the writing is the driving force. And that seems to me like a good place to start off with a guy named David E. Kelly, who wrote the screenplay for this. He is primarily a television writer, producer, showrunner. He made... At the, at the time that this movie came out, he was hot in the middle of making Ally McBeal, which is very much of the same tone and tenor as this film, oddly, if you were to watch the series all the way through as I have. You did show me the clip of the dancing baby ghost thing. Yeah, it's a very strange show. Yeah. He also made Boston Legal, which again, very much in keeping of, of with the tone of Lake Placid. He is also the creator of more serious shows like The Practice and Big Little Lies and Goliath and Mr. Mercedes. So he is, is pretty prolific in the TV world. And this was his sort of first high profile foray into screenwriting on the big screen. So... I actually think it's interesting given just how much of his personality carries over into the script because it is very David E. Kelly. If you watch mm. Ally McBeal and Boston Legal, which you two should probably check out actually because they are both they both seem very up your alley. You showed us a couple of, of Boston Legal clips. I did. What what's the actor? James Spader. William Shat- oh, James Spader. William Shatner in there. Both of them. Sh- Shatner's in yeah. there too, but I'm a big fan of James Spader. Yeah. I love how he says certain things. He has great line deliveries. And Shatner is just great. It is this sort of... The way that he does things is that he... Everything in those more quirky shows like Boston Legal, Ally McBeal, he did a short-lived one called Harry's Law starring Kathy Bates. But the, the common denominator in all of that is that every character is weird and idiosyncratic and just a little bit odd in their own way in in such a way that they were kind of probably big nightmares if you ever had to deal with them in real life but watching them on screen is really enjoyable you you get that carry over here you everyone's got their own little detail and personality quirk to them we talked about betty white he would later reuse betty white in boston legal as a seemingly innocent old woman who kept killing people ostensibly in self-defense. <laughs> but you, you get a lot of that. And, like, it's, it is, I don't know, I just keep saying it, it is very much Ally McBeal specifically. And the Bridget Fonda character is very reminiscent of Ally McBeal, the character, right down to some of the worst cliches that Kelly could fall into when he was writing women in the late 90s. But anyway, so, well, I've, I've talked for a while. What, what, what do you guys make of, of this particular style? I think the script is very biting. Uh, everyone has snide comments. It's relentless. It's relentless. For example, one of my favorite characters in the show is Brendan Gleeson as the sheriff. And nobody lets up on him. Like, he bears the brunt of the majority, the majority. of the people's snide little comments and i love that and he and it's always sarcastic comments and stuff like that like when he ends up punching oliver platt's character you're like thank you finally i honestly expected him to be the person who goes around killing people instead of the crocodile 
because they just needle him with all these little witty remarks and little insults but that you can actually see him slowly but surely get so sick of everyone's shit. Like, for example, like, when we were watching it, John and I said, this isn't necessarily tense because of the crocodile. This is tense because they're just ratcheting up the tension of his mind about to snap. Like, you don't know when he's going to lose his shit. Yeah. Oh, we also love that character because of the Twinkies. Yes, at the beginning, he, when the guy is scuba diving in the water, Brendan Gleeson's character demolishes a Twinkie. It, pan- it goes to the guy diving underneath because they're tagging beavers. Then it cuts back to him having unwrapped another Twinkie <laughs> and demolishing that one as well. Yeah. So I immediately grew a connection with the character because yeah. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, something intensely human about that. And I, I think setup. his relationship with Oliver Platt's character is quite interesting as well because mm. they start off really, really hating each other, but they actually sort of become friends by the end. They, in I don't a think weird they become way. friends. They Frenemies. Grow, yeah. yeah. They grow Rivals. a connection. They grow a connection. They have a grudging respect for each other. Yeah, yeah. Because they both have this sort of awe that they show to the crocodiles. Yeah. Especially the big one. There's a there's a begrudging respect of their power that they both share and bond over. Well, Oliver Platt's character has this sort of weird, religious, almost kind of love of them. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 a really great cast for a movie of this type, which is another sort of indicator that this is not going to be your general runaway screaming kind of a monster movie. I mean, we Brendan Gleeson, Oliver Platt, Betty White, we got Bridget Fonda and Bill Pullman there. You even, I don't know if you caught it, but you have Mariska Hagate in a very early role as the, the woman at the start. Mariska Hagate is now, for the last 20-something years, has been doing Law & Order SVU. She's the main character in that, which always continues to confuse me a little bit that one of the number one watch shows on television is about sexual crimes but whatever that's a different podcast mm. <laughs> so you you get a really good strong cast here that are all very capable and are all very able to match the tone and energy that kelly's putting out in the script absolutely uh, and i don't think also that we should go too much longer without you know, giving props to Steve Miner as well, the director who, uh, you know, handles this very, very well as as just a, a directoral outing. He is, he has horror bona fides. He directed Friday the 13th, part two and three, Warlock. He, he's, he's done, he's worked with, with David Kelly on, on The Practice. He directed Halloween H2O the, the year before this film came out. So he... You know, he has form in in this arena. Yeah, he keeps his pace with the script very well. Yeah. Because a less talented director could get lost in that. And the edits qu- are quick enough so that you get all of the dialogue and the reactions, but it never slows down. Mm. So it keeps that witty pace. Yeah. You can say the same for when he directs the scenes with the crocodile attacking people. It's never too frantic that you lose sight of everything. It's very cleanly shot. I did love that bit where 
Brendan Gleeson is chasing Oliver Platt with a stick and is ready to properly just beat his ass. But then a bear comes and it's like, oh shit, now we've got to deal with a bear. And then the crocodile just chomps on that bear and just brilliant sort of really ratcheting yeah, up. It's a nice escalation of everything at that point. And that's the point where everyone's kind of like, yeah, all right, there's a giant crocodile and the lake. Because like, up to that point, there'd been sort of a... A, a hesitation to say it. Yeah. yeah. Mm. People were saying, there's a bear. It's like, I'm sorry, what? A bear ripped a person in half underwater? Yeah, that's a thing. Let's talk about the, the giant crocodile and its role and its appearance in the lake. That We will learn that Betty White and her recently deceased husband had just been feeding the crocodiles for funsies. And the the crocodile, I should say, <laughs> for funsies. There's there is two of them though. Yeah, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. There's a much smaller one as well. Plus the babies we see at the end. Right. So if you and and they 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 never really explain how the crocodile got in the lake. They they talk a little bit about how oh this you know this this thing's probably two hundred years old and it probably swam continents. You know this is a powerful creature. But I can tell you, having watched now the final film in the series, Lake Placid Legacy, which I will be talking about in detail next week, what the the actual reason for the crocodile being there is, if you like. Right. Okay. So Lake Placid Legacy is set in an abandoned scientific research facility that is haunted by a giant crocodile that is running around the hall still. Haunted? Just a... Don't get too hung up on that. I just okay, used the word. because I was thinking that wouldn't be too off sort of track with a sci-fi monster film. But we find out over the course of the film that this research facility was used to do experimentation on crocodiles. And that not only were they doing experimentation on crocodiles, but... To do weird stuff and find out new weird... Like they're trying to, it's the same bullshit anaconda thing I yeah. talked about last week. They're trying to find, you know, medical uses in crocodiles or something. Uh, I don't, it's all ridiculous. But for whatever reason, they also decided that it was a great idea to create hybrid crocodiles using DNA from giant from a giant extinct breed of crocodile from millions of years ago, which is called the... Mer- the Morasuchus, Morasuchus, I don't know. I'm not used to saying crocodile names from millions of years ago, but it was a, a, a very big boy. It was 39 feet long, and I looked up some comparisons to modern-day crocodiles, and, and this guy's just, like, pretty full-on. Because the crocodile in Lake Placid is 30 feet, yeah. and in real life, the like, the longest one that's been measured in is uh, 21, 22 feet. Yeah. But, so we get the explanation here. They bred these hybrids, and then when the facility was shut down, that one of these crazed scientists who'd grown too close to the crocodiles, rather than kill them all, saved one and took it to Lake Placid, which is how the crocodile then ends up there. So... I mean, I'm happy enough to get the explanation, but I kind of did like just the whole, yeah. you know, this guy swam here by himself. Because <laughs> he's just that powerful. Yeah. He's that strong. He was he probably just... eating, like, fish on, on the way. He's yeah. probably really chill. 
But I mean, I, I suppose if you think about it in retrospect, it does make a little more sense because, you know, it explains why there haven't been killings on the lake prior to the movie. It explains yeah. why, you know, this is not a known thing. If the thing's been there for, you know, decades. No one would have settled there. Yeah. But it, I, I, I don't know. You also get, it's never explicitly stated, but I suppose you could draw the implication that that scientist was Betty White's husband who is, oh, yeah. by the start of Lake Placid, dead in an unfortunate crocodile-feeding mishap, which, you know, we've all been there. Yeah. I think at that point, like, just let the crocodile get the horse, honestly. The Betty White character, when they first show up at her place, she says she uh, euthanized her husband with a skillet, and, th- and thought, that's a much better story than saying it was a crocodile well she's trying to protect the crocodile she says at the end that if i told you the truth you'd have killed it which you know great job betty that real work worked out well for you didn't it but Mm. she has this sort of i i suppose there is sort of an emotional attachment in that it it is sort of connected to her husband but she's also not well No, no absolutely not she's obsessed with these crocodiles in a way that is really unhealthy and and just the simple fact of of anyone just feeding the crocodiles in the lake and and as they become more and more used to coming to you for food just treating that like a normal thing and not you know calling parks and wildlife or whoever it is and saying hey everyone come check this out and and that's sort of a thing that they keep in with in the series in two and three not so much in four is that the family that her family are all kind of responsible they have a similar mentality you get cloris leachman in the second movie coming in to play her sister who does pretty much the same thing you have you know her i think grandchild or great-grandchild in the third one who finds the baby crocodiles and just starts feeding them for funsies and i mean in the fourth one they bring in robert england who is somehow related to that whole bunch as well but he is more of a of a poacher and he's less less i don't know entranced by the idea of the, of the crocodiles but in that sense i suppose they they sort of draw a parallel between betty white and the oliver platt character yeah that they are both obsessed obsessed with with the crocodiles but Oliver Platt has like a healthy respect of their power and their danger as well, which is why he is allowed to survive the movie and it is implied Betty White and later confirmed that Betty White is not. At the very end, she starts to feed these crocodile babies that have been left behind and by the second movie, she's been eaten. Yeah, fair enough. And Oliver Platt's character, he has a really good monologue after he first interacts with the the big boy for the first time, where he's talking about how crocodiles were the judge and the executioner for a lot of ancient cultures, and that he can see in their eyes that yeah. when they let him live, that's them judging him a good man. Yeah, he says, maybe I was, and so what? Is that too arbitrary? Better to be measured by my wealth? Better for me to get my self-esteem looking in the eyes of cheap sycophants craving a meal ticket? There was more honesty in those dragons' eyes. There was more dignity in those dragons' eyes. Yeah, Oliver Platt is playing a very interesting character here. Because it is, 
a very out of left field sort of eccentricity to have this fellow who is obsessed to an almost religious degree with these crocodiles. Mm. I mean, that's just not a modern idea. And to have it appear in this this otherwise very... Grounded? Gra- that's not really the word I'm looking for, but the, the, the very sort of 90s era. Like, it, yeah. it's very 90s. It feels very contemporary to the time that it was made. It's got a lot of of style and substance to it that is very identifiably late 20th century, early 21st century. So to get him to turn up here as as this guy, as this as this otherwise also very contemporary character, you know, this yeah. hard partier, this kind of... of guru? Gu- guru, I suppose, but also a billionaire with his own helicopter yeah. who, you know thinks he can get away with pretty much anything and treats the people around him with complete condescension. But for him to have this ancient, you know, like ancient Egyptian kind of obsession with crocodiles and with old reptiles is fascinating. He's also got absolutely no filter, which is fascinating. Yeah. Well, none of them do, really. No no one in this movie has a filter. I mean, Bill Pullman's the only one that really has a filter. Bill Pullman is weirdly kind of the most personality-free of all of the characters. Yeah. Like, when when Hector, who is Oliver Platt's character, gets to the lake, he says, Splendid lake, eh? Become a man on a lake like this. Robert Raft, Sophie Blake. She gave like a cow. It's like, what a weird, wild, very inappropriate thing to say when you're just meeting a group of people for the first time. And, and again, that's all Kelly. There is a, there was a lot in Oliver Platt's character that I can also see in James Spader's character in Boston Legal. Mm. But yeah, there is there is a lot of that that kind of I'm not observing any of the traditional social mores. Yeah, exactly. Kind of thing. Then there's Bridget Fonda's character. Yeah, who at the start of the film we find out that she's been cheated on. And I mean, with the attitude on this woman, I can't really blame <laughs> the guy. If if any of these people in this movie, if anyone said, hey, you know, I think this guy's a, a dickhead, it's like, yeah, reasonable, reasonable assumption, reasonable conclusion to come to when you're dealing with these rude people. No, but I do get where she's coming from. I get where she's coming she, from. It's terrible to find out you've been betrayed like that and we also never really get any confirmation of what her regular day-to-day personality is like yeah like we we don't see what she was like before the movie started and before she found out she was being cheated on i don't know she's got a bit of she's a little too good at being condescending and rude for her to have just picked it up oh that's again that's david e kelly but like like we're seeing her in an emotionally fraught spot with also a giant crocodile running around killing people in an environment that she is totally uncomfortable in. So I'm not sure whether it's necessarily fair to her to 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 judge her entire existence on this little slice of life, albeit that is what's presented to us in the movie. And I would also say just personally that I think that, you know, just, just dump her. If you want to go and get with someone else, don't cheat on yeah. her. Dump her. You know, have a bit of guts. Just say what the problem is and, you know. Yeah. There's a lot of 
extenuating circumstances for her character. So... Which is what prevents us from turning on her. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, she... To Bridget Fonda's credit, she plays it honestly. She does. And all of the characters do. There's no insincere performance out of a lot of them. Everything that they set up works. For example, there's sort of this... It's like the beginnings of a flirtation between Fonda's character and Pullman's character. Yeah. And they wisely never go further than that. In the movie, yeah. Which, I don't know, it worked for me. Yeah, I mean, I think it is reasonable to to say, yeah, I think she's in an emotionally fraught situation and nothing that is happening over the course of the movie is exactly calming her down. That She's got a line where she says, I will not calm down. This is the second time I've been hit with a severed head and I don't like it. <laughs> and, and, at, and when uh, she gets hit with the bloody head of the moose or whatever she's like he threw it at me he targeted me and it's like and she slaps gleason and he's like what the fuck (laughs) you threw it at me i just let go of it you threw it at me do you see that oh ma'am stop hitting me don't throw heads at me stop calling me (laughs) ma'am he's like he just put it in the boat lay off him i just thought doing his best i just thought that was the head stuff was hilarious like the second time she just loses it completely and it's like she's got this weird sort of elitist thing against people who live in maine and it's completely (laughs) undeserved it's it's like like it's like the movie shits on maine so much you'd think it was written by stephen king oh no stephen king loves maine he lives in maine that's why he sets everything in maine like, there's, there's the whole thing of go- going on about, oh, so why, the sheriff, who I think is the least dickish somehow out of the characters, says, oh, I don't know, I don't understand why they would send someone from a museum to help us with this. And it's like, okay, fair enough, reasonable question, that any reasonable person would say, hey, look, I was sent to look at the tooth, I told you what I know, I'm gonna bounce, I'm gonna check out. But no, she says, oh, you don't have museums in Maine? And it's like, lay off him. Because it's all a shield for the fact that she wasn't actually sent there to check out a tooth. She was sent Mm. there by her ex-boyfriend, who is her boss, because he didn't want to have to deal with the awkwardness for a little bit. He dumped her and then shipped her off to Maine to investigate a tooth, which we, we learn, you know, she had stuff to... To contribute there, but on the face of it, back in New York or where, wherever it was, you would think, quite rightly, in the early goings, that that's a pretty obvious, obviously pointless task to send an archaeologist or a person working for a museum out to investigate this stuff. Yeah, and I, I think that the Fonda character though does display some of Kelly's most unfortunate tendencies that he's gotten away from. To give him credit, but in the 90s, in Ally McBeal specifically, he, when writing comedic female characters, tended towards that kind of, I I don't know, sort of neurotic, kind of loud. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like, if anyone has seen Ally McBeal but hasn't seen Lake Placid, this is basically Ally McBeal fights a crocodile. I mean, like, you, 
like just imagine you know a woman in a short skirt and high heels you know wandering through the mud of a main lakeside and getting really pissed off that you know her shoes have been ruined i mean that's the kind of character that we're talking about here for a lot of the movie and it's I mean, that was a whole part of the ongoing broader cultural conversation surrounding Ally McBeal, which is interesting in its own right, but grew to sort of a a fever pitch that I think was ultimately unfair to the show because it held her up as... There was a a magazine cover, I think it was might have been Time magazine, I'd have to double check, that had had a photo of the character on the cover with the future of feminism as a headline, question mark, you know, which... Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's the very 90s tone-deaf yeah. ideas around that kind of thing and where gender politics and workplace politics were at that time. Ali McBeal, for as good as a show as it is, is very much a relic of that period. Yeah. And that kind of does carry through in the Fonda character into Lake Placid. Again, David E. Kelly has gotten away from that. You know, he he writes a lot better female characters now. The Candace Bergen character on Boston Legal is outstanding. So so he he this shouldn't necessarily be seen as as an always kind of problem for him. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it just shows his talent as a writer that he can develop his talent. Yeah. Yeah. Over the years and. Bridget Fonda is is an interesting person to talk about as well because she's kind of disappeared. But for a hot second there in the 90s, she was pretty, you know, she was in Jackie Brown, the Quentin Tarantino movie. She was in a whole bunch of like, you know, the, the kind of, I don't know, urban thriller kind of things yeah. that you got a lot of in the 90s. She was in the, the Assassin or Point of No Return, depending on where you saw it, they changed the name, which was the La Femme Nikita remake in America. But she was nominated for a Golden Globe, two Golden Globes. So it seems kind of odd there that she just hasn't worked since 2002. Hmm. And, you know, more power to her. She got married to Danny Elfman yeah. in 2003, and she just she appears not to have worked since getting together with Danny Elfman. I don't know what the choice is behind that. Maybe she found other things to that fascinated her more than, than acting or or something like or, that. But Or just maybe hasn't been interested in any of the yeah, roles maybe she, or anything. Maybe she just, you know, you, you get to a point, you're just like, you know what, I'd like to just relax. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wish yeah. I had the opportunity to do that. But... Mm. You, you wish you had the opportunity to get married to Danny Elfman and live off that Tim Burton money. Oh, hell yeah. That Fifty Shades of Grey money. You got it. Oh, um, the Fifty Shades of Grey scores are actually the best things about those movies. I saw that Tim Bur- that Danny Elfman had had scored those movies, and I was like, Tim Burton's got to make more movies. Danny Elfman's fallen on hard times. <laughs> oh, come on. I mean, Danny Elfman also did the music for real steel he did the music for uh, that movie that has jennifer lawrence and bradley cooper silver linings playbook yeah he did the music for that like so so he's been around he's a very versatile composer Mm. oh yeah my that my that that comment was not meant as a dig at danny elfman it was meant as a dig at 50 shades of (laughs) grey oh yeah definitely but do give 
the scores for those movies are listen. Mm. They're surprisingly fine because he knows the kind of movies. I insist that we one day do a special episode on the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy. Of course. The look of utter defeat on Harley's face just then was a sight to behold, dear listeners. (laughs) I I have things to say about that franchise, but we'll leave it till then. I would like to talk about some of the effects used in this movie. Go for it. Because there's a decent amount... Because, yeah, there's computer-generated stuff for the crocodile at times, and it's hazy and fuzzy, but that's really... That's you know, the time. That's of the time. Yeah, I, I think it's aged really terribly, though. Mm. It's, like, put it in perspective, this came out the same year as Star Wars Episode One, And admittedly, Lake Placid is not the same as a George Lucas-directed science fiction movie, but... It's... In- I don't know, episode one hasn't necessarily aged perfectly either. No, it hasn't, but it's aged a hell of a lot better than the CG <laughs> in, in this. I think mm. that Steve Miner, the smartest cho- directorial choice he made was to do the Jaws thing of keeping yeah. the crocodile submerged for most of it. Yeah. That you only see bits and pieces of it. And even then, usually using practical ways to achieve that it's not really yeah. until the end where he busts out onto the shore and starts running around trying to eat brendan gleason that yeah it like in seeing it full in full on land moving yeah. it, it's not held up well at all it, and that's only that only happens a couple of times yeah like the part where he grabs the, grabs bear. the bear and the part where he's sort of I guess hanging on to the it's it's like the resolution on the crocodiles too yeah. low yeah it feels present in the space at least I do think there's also a kind of difficulty that all of these movies all of the Lake Placid movies have had which is they can't seem to get the animation of the crocodile moving quickly on ground right yeah that mm. it always looks a little bit goofy and not. Yeah. Not right. There's just something in the back of your head that's just like, that's not how that should look. Yeah, because he's a big crocodile. Even if he moves fast, it's all relative. But they've got their short little legs, you know? Yeah. And and for whatever reason, maybe they just there just hasn't been enough CGI crocodiles in cinema for them to really have had the practice at rendering it properly. But you look at a crocodile moving quickly on ground in real life, and you're like, Jesus Christ, you know, that's a scary thing. But you see him in this movie, and he just is sort of sort of like this artificially sped up waddle, is how yeah. it kind of comes <laughs> off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you, you played the Benny Hill theme yeah. music over <laughs> it running. Like that'd be a pretty good screensaver. Some of the practical effects, however, are quite good. I did. I particularly like the one at the start where Brandon Gleason's pulling the oh yeah guy out the of water, half of the guy, yeah, like the top half of him. Then you see the guts like slide out. Hmm. That was that whole thing straight went up upset. How that guy was. Sort of like holding onto his hand, like and like sort he was of trying to say something, breathing but he just his last, and it's like yikes, yikes! Like, they really put Gleason's character through the ringer emotionally. Yeah, that's the first mode. I was like, I think we got something special here, and I think it's funny how they do. No, sorry to get back to the Twinkie thing. I just think <laughs> it's hilarious, but he bites the Twinkie clean in half when he demolishes the first Twinkie, and then the guy gets bitten in half. So in my mind, I was connecting the two of them. 
You're thinking that the Twinkie is sort of like a voodoo doll of this guy. <laughs> no, not necessarily. Just what? What I a twist that no, would be. I was, I was thematically connecting Brendan Gleeson to the crocodile. Mm. Then also... there's also the moment where the deputy gets his head bitten off, <laughs> yeah. which again really works for me. He is moving a. L- the crocodile is moving a little too quickly there. He like takes it off clean. Yeah. But again, that effect of the neck oh, yeah. is practically done, and it's it's not as realistic as it could it's be. It's upsetting to look at. But it works. Yeah. As, as well as the effects on the crocodile when it's wedged in the helicopter. Yes. That what what about that plan? Fantastic. I'm s- okay, can we take a vote on whether we would, ha- we would be on the side of keeping the crocodile alive or just shooting it dead with Gleason's big, big gun? Oh. Hands up, kill it. My hand is up. That's great in an audio format, John. I, I don't know. It's... it's. I get where they're coming it's from. It's two people, though. Yeah, but you get you get the... Like, the fact that in real life, one has never been measured at more than, like, 21 feet. And here's this 30-footer. You can I measure mean, it when it's dead, Lawson. But how did it, it get there? It's not Dark Souls. You can't do it if its head's been blown up. Yeah, that's a good point. There is probably nothing that you can learn from a live crocodile that you couldn't learn from a dead one. So, um, yeah, all right then. You've you've sold me. Kill the thing. What? No, <laughs> I'm I'm with the crazy crocodile Oliver Platt man on this one. It's this is a remarkable creature. Yes, and it doesn't mm. stop being remarkable we have seen, if we put a bullet listen, in its head. We have seen nothing, they have seen nothing like it so far. And what you can learn from an alive animal that you can't learn from a dead one is behavior. You can't learn how it will react. It'll react it's a crocodile. Like people. Is it going to react that different from all the other crocodiles? It's not going to go up and Actually, give a Victorian speech at a college. <laughs> I don't, it's, it's, it's not... It's not going to really just, act that differently to any other crocodile. I just remind that just immediately reminded me of that that scene in Gremlins too, and I'm just picturing you know the crocodile. One of these creatures is somehow able to talk, and he's going to talk with us right now. I think the main question that people have is, the creature, what is it that you want? Fred, what we want is, I think, what everyone wants and what you and your viewers have. Civilization. <laughs> <laughs> like, what I'm trying to get at is different types of... different species of crocodile mm. act differently to others. Some are more docile, some are more hostile, some have different breeding patterns. All of that sort of stuff. That crocodile would demolish another crocodile That's if, not, you, if you said to it, hey, uh, breed. That's not what I'm talking about. Well, it laid eggs, so... What I'm saying is, you can learn a lot about a creature from it being alive. Yes. And the most important thing to learn is, did it cross the ocean to get here? How are you going to find that out from a live crocodile? It's not going to tell you. <laughs> no, it's... Yeah, it's Johnny Titleist. Look, I ain't you're telling not gonna, you nothing. How, how about this one, Lawson? You're not going to learn much about the, how the crocodile got there if you drop a dead crocodile into salt water. You, to find out if it can actually swim in that, mm. you drop a live one in the salt water. 
And that's how you it, know it's the witch it, thing. It's the witch thing. If it dies, then we know. If it doesn't <laughs> die, then we know. Like, it, and the thing is, by that point, they don't know how it got there. And by keeping it alive and testing out the saltwater theory, you figure out, hold on, if this did travel here that way, other crocodiles have done that same thing to other places. I do like the idea of you have it, have the crocodile scripted and have its lines written the same way that all of the other characters <laughs> in this movie have had their lines written and you just go to the croc you go up to what I'm going to call Lake Placid and you say to it oh uh, hey how, how did you how did you get into Amer- how did you get to America how did you get to Maine and it's like I took a flight dipshit I hung on the back of a plane dumbass I mean I, I do think that the crocodile is for the most part a pretty effective presence. Yeah. The the one image that stands out in this to me is the image where they are spying on Betty White and it's just the pan yeah. over and there's the crocodile with its <laughs> with its head out. Like that's just that's such a like like both kind of a shocking and humorous image at the same time, which seems to just sum up what this movie is yeah. is doing pretty yeah. well. But I also really love the scene where Oliver Platt is in the water. Oh, yeah. And mm. the crocodile comes up behind him, and they sort of have this, this face-off, this judgment, as he puts it mm. later on. And, and Platt sees something different in its eyes. Mm. Mm. This is a mean crocodile. Like, this isn't like... The other crocodiles he's interacted no, with. No, that's right. This is a David E. Kelly crocodile. <laughs> it's got a bad attitude. It's a crocodile with dude. <laughs> but like he, he's got the the crocodile's got powers that you know give it a level of brutality and a level of yeah. like the jumping out and the taking out the bear, you know, and how the bear just look like the look on the bear's face. <laughs> Oh, yeah, definitely, yes. As it goes under. It's it like, is so shocked. Yeah. And at the end, too, when <laughs> there's the helicopter and he, he, the crocodile jumps up and drags the helicopter out of the yeah. air. I mean, like, that's full on. I agree. The, the look in the bear's face was great. It's like, do you think you could take a crocodile, Yogi? I don't know, boo-boo. That one in Lake Plaza looked pretty mean. No, as as the bear was getting dragged into the water, all I said was, "Oh bother." I don't know this this sequel to Brother Bear is really short. I I do think that the ending is missing something. I do think mm. that it just kind of it does lack. It ends too suddenly. Yeah, yeah it lacks a, a real finale, a real moment of finality to to well, what happens there. I feel like. Like, after the point that they realise that Betty White is feeding the crocodiles, I feel like we're missing something big there to tie it all up. I agree. And I think part of that is the fact that we keep all our main characters. Yeah. We do. Yeah. We we, we ret- retain every name actor. We retain every... We do. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but... Two people die. Two people, yeah. It's the guy at the very start, and then it's the deputy that gets his head bitten off. Even the cow survives. Yeah. Which makes me so uh, happy. Let's talk a bit about their plan to catch the mm. big Dipping boy. the cow like a tea bag. <laughs> yeah, they, they string up this cow underneath the helicopter. You can't and, take a cow by eminent domain. We did. And they, yeah, they, they take Betty White's 
cow and she gets that that great rant of you know you know i'm rooting for the crocodile i hope it eats all of your friends <laughs> but i mean i mean that's like the the beginning of the the betty white is a dirty old lady character you know mm. not in real life but that's the beginning of her foul-mouthed i'm yeah. secretly really aggressive even though i look like betty white yeah. character that she'll come to play in a whole bunch of things going forward if i had a dick this is where i'd tell you to suck it have you have you seen the i, I, don't, I can't remember it's funny or die but it was it, it's back when they were filming the ryan reynolds movie proposal with sandra bullock and betty white was in that as sandra bullock's grandmother and there's this behind the scenes skit of betty white you know coming across as this very lovely friendly you know sweet old lady but secretly she's just bullying ryan reynolds like totally (laughs) until the point where like every time he tries to you know get back at her or you know snap she'll pretend to cry and everyone like chastises ryan reynolds for being so mean to betty white hi betty how are you uh brian (laughs) brian my name is ryan Get me a cup of coffee. No, my name's Ryan. We've, we've, we've been working together for weeks. Months, actually. Months now. Dan, you've been a terrible assistant that whole time. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I'm not an assistant, Betty. I, don't, I mean, I play an assistant in the movie, and I'm an actor in real life, and you should, you should, you should know when that. When Betty White says she wants a cup of coffee, you get her a, a cup of coffee. You ab-crunching jackass. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay. This is, that's what I'm talking about. I'm going to tell you exactly how it is, okay? You seem like an adorable, sweet old lady on the outside, but on the inside, on the inside, you're like this, 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 this seething demon. You hear me? Why don't you suck a hot Yeah. Yeah, that's right, everybody. I told Betty White to go suck a hot like she's out of Ryan. her mind, Sandy. Ryan. I'm tired of Ryan. it. Oh, All I said was he reminds me of my finger. Look at her finger right there. Okay, how about we get you a cup of tea or coffee? She call me a jackass. Coffee, coffee. Can we get Miss White some coffee? Okay, I gotta see that. Like, I gotta give props to Betty White for you know she's been in the industry for a long time. Oh yeah, yeah. And she really hit her stride. In roles like Lake Placid, I think. I think Golden Girls is a pretty, yeah. pretty good one. She, she is the Golden Girl. The last remaining, she absorbed the rest's power. Yeah, yeah. She was born. She's ninety-eight. Mm. She was born in nineteen twenty-two, and she's still going. And she can still pull off lines like "You old cocksuckers." I knew it at first. I just didn't want to say it. She's <laughs> like. And it's like, stop being so mean to me. It's like, it's not only wildly inappropriate. Done. It's that sort of line's not only wildly inappropriate, but it's also very, very hostile. It's very hostile, like extremely so. But she was very apparently kind of like ooh about the dialogue because she hadn't been. She wasn't known for that. She wasn't known for it, and she was a little bit eh, about doing it but once she actually got on set she like you know was a pro and fully committed to everything she's like you know what i actually kind of like this i like this energy i'm gonna keep this for the rest of my career 
you remember you remember back in 2016 when all of those celebrities were dying and like David Bowie died and Alan Rickman mm. died and Carrie yeah. Fisher died and we got to like November and there was like someone made a GoFundMe to protect Betty White from 2016. Mm. <laughs> and like the thing was he was and it got like a whole bunch of money donated to it and he the thing that he did was he said you know with this money i will fly to wherever betty white is and protect her with my life for the duration of 2016 <laughs> but like like with the clause that if if betty white didn't want that then that he would donate it to a charity of her choosing yeah, yeah. it's like i will be her guardian angel I mean, who's protecting her from 2020? Like, ugh. I do love the idea of the Grim Reaper coming up behind Betty White and a guy just sort of dives in front of her, in front of the Grim Reaper's hand, like she's the president. And he's like, no! Like- Tell you what, that Betty White better not die in the time between us recording this <laughs> and oh, the podcast God. episode coming out. Like, I imagine, like, the Grim Reaper, like, swings his sight down on her bed but it's actually just an inflatable clown. She comes out of the dark with two knives, just stabs. No, the, the <laughs> thing the I back. said the other night was she comes out with a knife in each hand and a knife between her teeth. Well, that's the the reminder of the, one of the great quotes eulogizing a dead person ever, I think, is about Teddy Roosevelt after yeah. he died. And I forget who said it, but he said, death had to come for him in his sleep because if he'd been awake, there'd have been a fight. Mm. <laughs> which like, and the Grim Reaper's like, I'm not here for that kind of energy. Which like, is a great man. line. That's a great Good line. You That's know. how you want to be eulogized. Yes, that is a person saying that not even something that happens to everybody could take you. Yeah. But a- anyways, we we got away from where we were going there, which was I think mm. the cow being yes. dipped into the water like a tea bag underneath this helicopter that it's strung up under. To attract the, the the crocodile. Yeah. It's being flown over the, frankly, gorgeous yeah. lake they shot at. And the cow's like, uh, this is this, this is, is awesome. This is awesome. This is a perspective I never would have had before. You know what? You guys are all right. I'm pretty happy with this. It's like, dip. Huh? What? Dip? It's like, no, no, no. There's, there's a giant crocodile in there. It's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Get me out of here! Hunter, Hunter, no! Hunter, Hunter, please don't. Please don't. I, I'm scared now. I'm scared now. I feel, I can feel it nipping at my feet. Bring me up, bring me up, bring me up, bring me up. And he survives at the end. The cow survives, you just see him walking was, past was and he's see. like, he's shell-shocked and it's like, I need to talk to somebody. You can't kill off the cutesy animal. We will no. stand for human beings getting their heads bitten off, but we will not stand for cute animals being killed in movies. You know, I, that's what I remember. Do you remember Bait 3D, the Australian film about, like, there's a flood and I think sharks get into a shopping centre that is flooded and everyone's, mm. like, standing on the on the shelves to escape from vaguely, them? Vaguely. I vaguely remember this movie. Is Julian McMahon in it? Yeah. That's yeah, the one. That's the one. But there was, like, I remember seeing the trailer a bunch of times in theatres for other movies. I never saw the movie itself. But there's, like, people getting eaten in, in the, the, the trailer. Yeah. But there's a, a point where one of them it's checks to... Yeah, one, like, someone puts a dog in the water to see if it can make it safety, safely or something. Or it falls in or something. I don't know. Mm. But the sharks immediately eat the dog. And the whole theatre, <laughs> the whole theatre, which was... 
which had no problems whatsoever watching all of these human beings get eaten by these these sharks previously in the trailer. The whole theatre just goes, oh, the minute that the dog gets eaten. We won't stand for cute-looking animals to be killed in movies. Yeah, and I don't necessarily think cows themselves are... Cows are adorable. I will eat a cow, but I don't want to see it die. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> my my uncle had a my uncle lives up on a on a property like a very large yeah. property in the bush. Uh, he had he he had cows one time I was up there and there was a little baby cow that was sick and I just sat oh. in this little pen with this cow this little baby cow that was like the size of uh, I don't know of a, of a, of a husky dog I suppose yeah so big but small for a cow and. It just, you know, came down and, and sat next to me and put its head on my lap and let me, like, you know, scratch its ears and things. And, you know, cows cows are adorable if you see them yeah. up close, I believe. So, I, and, and, you know, the cow didn't do anything. The cow didn't no. do anything. And no. the cow wasn't an arsehole like everyone else in the movie. No. And the look on the cow's face as it's getting flown out there, it looks pretty confused. You can't kill it off. We're going to resent the movie if it kills this yeah. cow off. Yeah. And I love how when it walks out of the water, it's like shell-shocked and it's like, I need to talk to somebody. <laughs> I need therapy right now. This is... That, this was bad. That cow has seen more in its life than any cow ever He has seen more in the past hour. Than mm. any other cat. That's going to be some tough, tough <laughs> meat. Some tough meat. Anyways, it seems like we're reaching the end of the conversation, unless there's anything mm. that you two would like to add. Oh, I loved seeing that other crocodile just get exploded <laughs> by the gun. That was brilliant. Glady got the chance to use it. We get the both best of both worlds. We get yeah. we get to have our humanitarian Peter endorsed capture technique but we also get to see a crocodile get blown up by a grenade launcher so so and brendan gleason's character someone asks gleason's character hey did shooting that big big gun make you feel any better and he's like not really that's a bullshit lie (laughs) a little bit of wee came out when you shot that guy like that gun (laughs) is Brilliant! It's like it had to that, have a that kick. That must have scared the living shit out of you. It's like it had to have had a kick. It had to have. And um, I love how they how they are transporting the crocodile at the end. It's just sitting there on the back tied of it, tr- tied down on the back of a truck, just sort of looking around, being like, "Okay, this is cool." So in the second, never one, would have seen this. It's not this same crocodile. No, it is the three crocodiles that you the see babies. at the end. The does, does the big guy ever come back? No. Oh. So we can imagine it's been being kept... He retires. Was kept in captivity and all that. I suppose. It's killing people, days are over. He's killing people, days are over. Uh, As he's being carted away to this place, he's like, you know what? Well, I was in the wrong here. Well, you know, they are taking him to Florida. He's going to retire there. Yeah. He's 200 bloody years old, I guess. Um, Not really, but you know. I have to say, I love the location. Mm. they shoot in it's a welcome change of pace from the amazon yeah (laughs) Yeah. i i I like it too but also strangely i really liked the like i preferred actually the location that they ended up using for three and four they switched to a very different location that is much a much larger lake much more distance Mm. between the two shores and 
really sold the isolation of it in a really interesting way. So I I, I agree with you that the, the location work is really good and they kept that up, thankfully, in the sci-fi sequels you're not seeing the sequels ending up in romania (laughs) no i think they i think they shot in england judging by the amount of england english actors doing in american accents Mm. like it seemed like everyone that i looked up because i always you know have a look at the actors after watching a movie and see what else they've been in but uh no they filmed in bulgaria so there you go europe right that was because it's cheaper there. Lake Placid three, Bulgaria. Lake Placid four, Bulgaria. Ah, uh, what about Lake Placid versus Anaconda? Where will that have been filmed? Bulgaria. Yeah. Okay. Three for three. So it's probably they're staying trying to stay consistent with the lake. Yeah. This for one that. was shot in Canada. Yeah, yeah, you could tell. Lake Placid, the original. Because it's a really nice location. Yeah. It's a bunch of different lakes. It's. Shawnigan Lake, Bunsen Lake, and Hayward Lake. But but it, they make it work. They do. It's very seamless. Yeah. Anyways, before we, we finish off, why don't we all go around and say who our MVP was and what our favourite scene is in this film. I will start us off and say that my MVP is David E. Kelly because he gives, through his script, he gives this film a personality that is entirely unexpected and kind of unique in monster movies and creature features and the type of film that this movie would otherwise be held up in comparison to. And it's very, it's a very enjoyable script. It's this, the movie's strongest aspect, so I'll give it to David E. Kelly. In terms of favourite scene, I've got to go with the, the beat where... Platt finds himself out of the helicopter and confronted by the crocodile in the lake. I think that's like one of the big, like the reveal of the crocodile behind him in the background of the shot. And, you know, there is real menace there and a real sense of danger. And I'm not really sure watching that for the first time whether Platt is going to make it out of that scene, you know. Mm. It's, It's... it's one of those it's one of the best scenes in the movie for expressing the the awe and majesty of a creature like that a huge yeah. creature like that and so that's the one that really stands out to me in retrospect how about you Sean I think the same for both I think that scene I think the script is just amazing it's funny and witty and sarcastic and it it really gives the characters a lot of character. And I think that scene in particular, it shows not only how how bloody scary this giant crocodile is, but it shows how obsessed Oliver Platt's character is. Because you've got him... You've got the lady he's with begging him not to go into the water, but he does it anyway. Doesn't she offer to have sex with him if he doesn't she go does. in the water? Yeah. She does, and... And and he goes in the water anyway, and it 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 shows his obsession. it shows his obsession. Like a human being is begging him not to put himself in danger, but he's he can't just, help it. He he can't he help himself. To. He's just so in love with these creatures that he he has to stare in in the eyes. He he has to look in its eyes. He has to he has to be judged. He has to be judged by the biggest crocodile he's ever seen 
And so, so it's so he'll know he's it, worth it. I don't think it judges him. It in finds the posi- him wanting. It finds him wanting. Let's say. I have to say, my MVP, just to spread it up a bit, because I think the script is a major part of this. Brendan Gleeson. Now, I really like him in a lot of movies. Brendan Gleeson and the Twinkies. Yes, mainly because that was my real connection. Yeah, made a connection with the character there. I can demolish a Twinkie. Oh yeah, I would definitely. Two. I've never had a Twinkie. I love those They're creamy nice. golden brown bad boys. I love them. They're basically a little cake with cream in it. Love it. But I, I really like Brendan Gleeson in his more comedic roles yeah. like this. He's got some great lines. He does. It reminded me a lot of his snappy, snappy delivery in In Bruges. Okay. If a little bit more on the receiving end. He's got a little bit of a mean of streak like he does as Mad Eye. Yeah, another great character for him. Man, I'm um, Moody from Harry Potter. Yeah. And he's playing, and he's the first big actor to play Donald Trump in a major, major production mm. coming yeah. soon. Yeah, can't wait to see that. My favourite scene would have to be the opening one, just because of, it's the first you get of the witty banter yeah. between him and the guy from the fish and game. Yeah. <laughs> and they have fish that fish and game routinely. They have that whole interplay. He goes into the water, and just the reaction on Brendan Gleeson when he's pulling him out of the water, yeah. and there's only half of him. It, like, it sets the tone remarkably. The practical effect is incredible. Yeah. It really sells the human cost of a creature like this, yeah. even though there's only two yeah. on-screen kills of people. We do get that bear, though. And it just it sets it up. Yeah. As a really... It's the first moment when I was like, I'm really going to like this. Yeah. So, like you all would know, we have next week Lake Placid versus Anaconda. Who are we rooting for? I'm for the crocodile. Who are I'm we still for the for? crocodile. Yeah, so am I. I prefer crocodiles over snakes. I'm a bit on the line. <laughs> I, I, I liked the personality of the anaconda. So, we'll just see. Alright. I think you get more personality from the crocodile. It, like, you, you see it, like, you, just the way it interacts with people is a lot more complex than... I don't know, I think the crocodile's just an animal. The anaconda, in anaconda, it's just... There's a look in its eyes of just pure evil, I think. I don't know. Think of, think of the, like, the look on the crocodile when it's cornering Oliver Platt, you know? There's good oh, yeah, there. definitely. Yeah, you know... Anyways, if you would like to watch along at home, then Lake Placid versus Anaconda can be purchased or rented on Google Play, YouTube, Apple, and Microsoft. Those stores all contain this film for purchase or rental if you would like to follow along. You can find us at our Twitter. I don't know why we won. Uh, You'll find a post up there. Showing my favorite character and the scene that made him my favorite character. You can follow us on there for updates as to how things are going, stuff we will be doing in the future. Please do follow the Twitter and spread it around. Yeah. But don't be weird about it. <laughs> don't be weird about it. You can also find Lawson at his blog, Exodus the Candy Counter. The link to which is in the description, wherever it appears on your podcast app of choice. And you can find John and myself. At On The Bright Side, it is our WordPress blog. Due to the lack of cinema releases, it has been a bit on the empty side. Yeah. When that stuff starts up again, 
there will be more stuff on it. That's in the description, wherever it appears on your podcast app of choice. I feel like we don't need to keep saying wherever it appears in your podcast app of choice. I've just gotten into the... I've just gotten into saying it. Just say in the description, and people can infer from there. Leave a comment on the podcast. Like, subscribe. On your podcast app of choice. (laughs) Because all of that stuff helps visibility. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you guys want to want to add to that? No, just just to reiterate, we'll be doing Saturdays from now on, so the next episode will be the 1st of August. Alright, I have been Harley Lewis. I've been Lawson Keeney. And I have been, and I will continue to be Jean. I think the croc will win. I'm just putting it out there. Whoever wins, right. we lose. <laughs> <laughs> Never smile at a croc and No, you can't get Friendly with a crocodile Don't be taken in by his welcome grin He's imagining how well you'd fit within his skin If I had a dick, this is where I'd tell you to suck it